All right, First John chapter 5 in your Bibles this evening. First John chapter 5, and if you received a handout this evening, you'll notice that there is a typo on your handout up there uh, where the text is. There are not 116 verses in First John 5. There are only, um, I think, 21 or 22 verses. And uh, somebody came up this morning and they were very, or this evening, they were very critical of Pastor Lejeune. And I had to remind them of the message this morning is I'm being compassionate by even making that for you. And here you are criticizing me. No, uh, but it's all good. So, um, uh, but um, we're, we're glad uh, to be here this evening. And uh, boy, I'm excited about the message tonight. I'm aware of the time and the Lord's Supper to come. And so we're going to have to um, work quickly this evening. I'm going to speak a little faster than normal, and we're going to get right into the notes and forego any sort of introduction. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word, First John chapter 5, verse 16, down through verse number 18, the Bible says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. The the title of the sermon this evening is this, Understanding God's Deadline. And that word deadline is a double meaning there, deadline. The line which you cross Where God will kill you, understanding God's deadline. Is there a sin a Christian commit, could commit, that would cause God to just drop him dead on the spot? And the Bible here talks about a sin unto death. What is that sin unto death? We're going to look at that this evening. Let's pray together. Lord, help us as we look at this passage to be able to wrap our minds around it, but more importantly, have our hearts understand it and be challenged by it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us all this evening to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I only want to ask you one question by way of introduction this evening, and I hope you're listening intently because this question is going to come back into play at the very end of the message, and it's this. Do you know someone who you believe is saved but away from the Lord and resisting the correction of the Lord in their life? Do you know someone who you believe is saved, who is away from the Lord, and is currently resisting the Lord's punishment uh, in their life? Um, If so, I want you to ask yourself this question. How much have I been praying for that person? How much have I been praying for that person? Maybe it's an adult child. Maybe it's someone who used to go to church here. Uh, Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's a parent. Uh, The list could go on and on and on. Some acquaintance of yours that you believe to be saved that is resisting the punishment of God in their life. And then the question is, how much have you been praying for that person? We're going to jump into the, uh, the outline tonight and notice four truths from verses uh, from three verses in first john 5 16 17 and 18 and uh boy i I, i'm gonna have to condense it here i I ended up with a lot more material than would even be a regular service and i had to cut a lot back but we'll do the best we can here uh, tonight point number one notice the price of our sin the price of our sin look at verse 16 and 17 it says if any man see his brother sin a sin which is uh, not unto death 
he shall ask, and uh, he shall give him life, for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin. Notice that in verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Letter A, notice earthly death. Earthly death. Two types of death in the Bible. If you've been taking the soul winner's class or going through the soul winner's club, you've heard me say this a number of times now. The rest of you um, will get caught up with them. Earthly death. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this. It says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Make no mistake about it that the reason why we will all one day die is because we are sinners. All sin eventually brings death. Uh, the Bible talks about a sin not unto death and a sin unto death, but be clear that even the sins that are not unto death, mentioned in First uh, John chapter 5, they do eventually bring death. All sin brings earthly death. Uh, the proof of that is, is that there's not a single person who's lived beyond, uh, who's currently alive beyond 120 or 130 years old. Everyone eventually dies. In fact, uh, the latest statistic I read said that 10 out of 10 people eventually die. That's the most accurate statistic you will ever hear. Boy, that's earth shattering, brother Tim. Write that down. Amen? 10 out of 10 people eventually die. Why? Because we're sinners. In fact, uh, in Genesis chapter number 2, um, uh, verse 17, I'll, I'll forego some of this here, uh, it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In fact, before Adam and Eve ever ate of that fruit, uh, they were going to live forever. But because they ate of that fruit, they brought upon them and the human race the curse of death. One man sin entered in the world. Death by sin. Death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The truth is that we are all sinners. Proof of that is that one day we will all die. But once our bodies cease to breathe air and operate, our soul will head toward either life or a second death. Notice letter B, eternal death. Earthly death, earthly death, but then there is an eternal death. The price of all sin... The price of our sin is earthly death and carries with it the consequence of an eternal death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages or the payment or the price tag or the paycheck of sin, the breaking of God's moral law, is death. Make no mistake about it that all sin brings eternal Death. Now, you say, but pastor, uh, Romans 6.23 does not say eternal death, it just says death. And I would agree with you there, but the verse goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 is offering us a comparison between eternal life and eternal death. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It shall die. Not the body that liveth, that sinneth, but the soul that sinneth. That eternal soul that lives inside of all of us, that soul shall die, shall be separated. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, the eternal Death. And so all sin, the price of all sin, eventually is death, both earthly 
and eternal. That's very, very important for you to understand as we go into the rest of the message this evening. So number one, we notice the price of our sin. Number two, notice the process of God's punishment. The process of God's punishment. Look at verse number 16 of 1 John chapter 5. The Bible says, if any man see... What are those next two words? You guys awake this evening? If any man see, what are those next two words? His brother. This is a Christian who is sinning. Boy, I, I would call someone who is, has who's been adopted into the family of God my brother or sister in the Lord. If you are not saved, then you are a fellow human, but you are not a brother or a sister in Christ because we do not share the commonality of God being our Father. And so this person committing the sin unto death or the sin not unto death is someone who is clearly saved. All right, go back again and look at the passage there. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Okay, let's break this down here. Letter A, notice, sin not unto death. Sin not unto death. Again, look at verse 16 and 17. If any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. And so uh, there are sins that do not immediately bring death, that do not cause God to just Drop us dead on the spot here. And so there are three forces uh, in our universe that tempt the Christian to sin. And they are the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the three forces that bring temptation upon us to commit sin and to commit sins that are not unto death. And, and I'd give you an example here. Lot, alright? The world tempted Lot into sinning. He pitched his tent towards Sodom, Genesis tells us, and the temptation, the lure of Sodom, the big city, and all it had to offer was a temptation that brought a, a, a Lot into sin. Now, did Lot commit a sin unto death by moving into Sodom? No, he did not. In fact, we know he did not because an angel came and drug him and his wife and two daughters out. But did his wife commit a sin unto death by looking back? Clearly she did. You see the contrast here? She turned around and looked, and God turned her into a pillar of salt. Whereas Lot, moving into uh, Sodom, that was not a sin unto death. Uh, notice that, uh, we, again, we face three temptations, or there are three forces that tempt us into sin. The world, another one would be the flesh. And as an example here, I put down King David and Bathsheba. There in Second um, uh, Samuel, David is up, uh, rather First Samuel, I believe it is, but same, uh, no, Second Samuel, okay, Second Samuel. David is up on his um, rooftop, and he looks over and sees a beautiful woman uh, bathing, and he lusts after her, he wants her, he brings her into his home, he defrauds her, commits a sin against her. Why? Because the lust of his flesh became too strong and he fell prey to his own fleshly desires. But God did not strike David dead on the spot after he had been with Bathsheba. And then the third uh, uh, force of temptation is the devil himself. 
And I put down some examples here, and that would be the temptations of Job and the temptation of Jesus. So Job was tempted on two different occasions by the devil himself. Jesus was tempted. We know that uh, uh, Paul was afflicted by Satan, and he had a thorn in his side, proverbially. And uh, we know that there are other people in the Bible that Satan went after. And so there are these forces in the world that tempt the Christian to sin. The majority of sin doesn't bring about an immediate death sentence. It's not a death line that a, a deadline or a death line that a Christian would cross. However, however, that when we do commit these sins that are not unto death, we do bring upon us God's hand of correction. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse number 5. On Wednesday evenings, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and we just went through this two Wednesday evenings ago, this very passage right here, but it fits in perfect with the message in First John this evening. Hebrews chapter 12, I'll begin reading in verse 5. The Bible says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. And here now the author of Hebrews is going to quote Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? So when a Christian commits one of these sins, or a sin that is not unto death, he does not bring an immediate death upon his earthly life. But if he's a child of God, he does bring upon God's hand of correction or his hand of chastisement or his hand of scourging and punishment upon that child. One way to know whether or not you're saved is this. Do I regularly experience the hand of chastisement of God in my life? And I think that's a great question for you to ask yourself. Can I identify that I am being corrected by the Lord? That I am being, quote-unquote, spanked by God in heaven. And uh, uh, we know that God brings about uh, punishment upon us. Um, you're there uh, in um, uh, in First John. Turn over to the book of James. You have Second Peter, First Peter, and then James to the left of there. Second Peter, First Peter, and then James. James chapter 1 and verse 15. Again, this would go back to my original point that all sin eventually brings death. But there are sins that don't bring immediate death, alright? There are sins that just bring about God's hand of punishment. Look at James 1.15. It says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, when it has run its course, bringeth forth death. Notice the process here. I have... And a, a lust that is uh, inornate, unbiblical, that's sinful, that's wrong, a lust that goes against God's desire for me. And if I live with that lust in my heart, that's going to lead to sin. And then if I live in that sin, eventually that sin is going to bring about death. Death. Eventually, I'm going to cross a line with God where He's going to take my earthly life as a believer. A sin not unto death. The question is that we have to ask out of 1 John 5 this evening is, does the sin that I am committing bring immediate death or eventual death? Does this sin bring immediate death or does it bring eventual death? Because all sin eventually brings death. So letter A, a sin not unto death. Letter B, a sin unto death. Sin unto death. Go back with me and look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16. 
It says, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Look here. Look at this next phrase. There is a sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. So we can commit a sin unto death. Now, I find that very interesting. I uh, read and studied and prayed and read and studied and prayed and read and studied and prayed all over this passage and parallel passage in the Scriptures. And to be honest with you this evening, after I had done that for hours and hours and hours, I was still confused about what that meant. And so then I pulled out all my commentaries and I laid them out all over my desk and I pulled up some digital commentaries and I read and I read and I read. And you know what I found is that there was a whole bunch of conflicting opinions on what this meant. And uh, one person would talk about these various sins that bring about death on a believer. And I came back and I said, well, wait a minute here. It says a sin. And God chooses the words of the Bible very carefully. This is a singular sin. So what sin would cause God to take the life of a believer? Well, in my study and in my research and all the reading and studying I did, I looked at all of the times in the Bible where God immediately took someone's life. Someone who I think was probably saved, and God just said, that's it. You crossed the line. You crossed the dead line. Let me show you a few of them this evening. And so we're going to take, and we're going to use our Bibles heavily for this part of the message. Turn to Leviticus chapter 10. Brother Joe, we're going to skip over some of these passages because of time. Okay, Leviticus chapter 10, and look at verse number 1. By the way, I did include all of these passages on that half sheet Outline And so on your own, I would encourage you to read the passages we'll skip over here, okay? And I don't have the time to lay out all the context of the passages and all that. You'll have to go back on your own and do that study. Uh, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not." And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. So they're playing around with strange fire. And God just drops a ball of fire out of heaven and boom, they're gone. Wow. We won't read the passage. So let me ask you a question. Is the sin unto death offering strange fire before the Lord? All right. I don't think so. Numbers, we won't read the passage, but Numbers chapter 16, verse 25 through 35, we find the re rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They stood up to Moses toe-to-toe -to -toe and challenged his leadership. And God opened the ground and swallowed them up and killed them because they questioned the authority of God's leader. And so is the sin unto death rebelling against the leadership of God's man? Well, I don't know. I don't think that's the sin. Judges chapter, or rather, turn over to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, verse number 19. And I'll begin reading Joshua seven nineteen through 26. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them, 
and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth, in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran under the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with them took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? And remember, 36 or 38 men had died in war because God had removed his hand of blessing. And because of this uh, sin that Achan committed, he caused those men to die. Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? Verse 25. The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. So here Achan took that which did not belong to him. And it caused great hurt and, and death even in the nation of Israel. And so uh, God immediately had him and his family and all of his possessions killed, uh, buried underneath a pile of rocks. So then that brings us to the question, is the sin unto death taking the accursed thing that belongs to God? Is it stealing from God? And out of that, I'd have to say, I don't think so. There have been times and seasons in my life where I didn't tithe or give of my offerings and I'm still here. And so I don't think that's the sin unto death, all right? But again, it just adds another layer of uh, curiosity to the question. Second Samuel chapter 6, uh, turn over to Second Samuel chapter 6 with me, if you will. Second Samuel 6, we'll read this one because it's short, and look at verse number 6. Some of you are familiar with this passage. Uh, this is the story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to um, Jerusalem, Brother Ray Young preached out of this passage uh, just uh, Wednesday evening. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, And when they came to Nacon's nesting floor, Uzzah put forth his hand, or Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. Wow. I've had people tell me, Pastor, that seems extreme. That seems extreme. So then we have to ask the question, is the sin unto death defiling the Ark of the Covenant by touching it? And I don't think that would be the case because I don't even think we know where the Ark of the Covenant is anymore. All right? There's theories out there, but I don't think anyone really knows. The average man definitely doesn't know. Someone says, but pastor, these are all Old Testament examples under the law. John was written to New Testament believers under grace. Well, let's look at some New Testament examples. Turn to Acts chapter number 5. Acts chapter number 5. Did God just strike someone down, strike them dead on the spot in the New Testament? The answer is yes, he did. Look at Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias, with uh, Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. And behold, a certain uh, part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, 
Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. Wow. Imagine me reprimanding someone in church and them dropping dead on the spot. That's what happened here, folks. That's wild. That is a crazy church service. All right? That would make the front page of the paper, I bet. What do you think? You think we might have some national news in here if that happened? That's crazy. Look at verse 5. And Ananias heard these words fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. Oh, man. And it was about the space of three hours after. There was no texting or social media, so his wife had no idea. When his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? You are co-conspirators in this sin, this crime against God. Behold the feet of them which buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. So that brings me to this question. Is the sin unto death lying to the pastor in the church, or tempting the Spirit of God about how much you give? And again, I would say, I don't think it is. One more passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 27. This one's appropriate because we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, and this is where we find that passage. Have I, have I satisfactorily piqued your curiosity yet? Uh, are you curious about what the... You're, uh, what I'm doing is I'm taking you on the journey I went on studying this this week. 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse number 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, speaking of the Lord's table, Lord's table, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body for this cause. Many are weak and sickly among you. Look here. And many sleep. Many of you have died. That doesn't mean they went into a coma. That is, well, who's the guy who, who went to sleep and woke up 25 years later? Is that Rumpelstiltskin? I never thought I'd say his name from this pulpit. There you go. All right. Um, this isn't sleeping like that. This is sleeping in that they're dead. All right. This is death. Somebody got drunk at the Lord's Supper table and was irreverent, or several somebodies were irreverent about the Lord's Supper table, and it angered God to the place where He took their life. So then maybe that's it, right? Maybe the sin unto death is drinking or partaking of the Lord's Supper irreverently. Now, go back to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16. Rather, I'm sorry, I'll read that verse for you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9. 
Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9. Let me read 1 John 5, 16 again. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Again, there is a sin unto death. A sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Listen, if someone has committed this sin unto death, what is he saying? What is John saying here? He's saying, I don't recommend if someone has committed this sin that you pray for them. You're wasting your time to try to intercede for them. So, what is this singular sin unto death? Let me give you what I believe it to be. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. For we not much, re- uh, rather, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live and live? Now, there are these sins that are not unto an immediate death. What do they yield? What do they bring? They bring the correcting hand of God. But what if someone so resists the correction of God that God has said, you have crossed a line? My quote-unquote spanking you is just never going to work. And God takes them home to heaven. God takes them home to heaven. I think the sin unto death is when you so take advantage of the grace of God that God gives up on a person. God gives up on a person. He says, that's it. No more. No more. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Let's look at number three. The protection of our salvation. So someone who is saved, that just sins and sins and sins and sins and sins, are they going to go to heaven? Look at verse 18. We know, I love how John firms this up for us, right right here. By the way, in verse 13 he said that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Look at verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. Now, let's all be honest with each other this evening. How many of you in the last 24 to 48 hours have sinned at least once? Would you raise your hand? If your hand's not up, you're sinning right now. Amen? You're lying. All right? Now, again, how many of you in here claim to be saved? Would you raise your hand? Wait a minute now. It says that one who someone's born of God doesn't sin. So how could you raise your hand to both? This passage is tough, isn't it? What does that even mean? Let me help you with that. Does God see the sins that a Christian commits? How many say yes, God sees the sins a Christian commits? How many say no, God does not see the sins a Christian commits? I would tell you the answer is yes and no. Yes and no. All right, stay with me here. Stay with me here. When it comes to our earthly life, God sees our sin. When it comes to our eternal record, God does not see our sin. You all with me here? 
When it comes to our earthly life, God brings earthly consequences on His children that are living in sin. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me show you what I mean this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1 through verse 5. Many, many people believe that if a Christian goes off into deep sin or uh, commits some sin that's just way out of bounds, that God is going to strip their salvation from them But the Scripture teaches otherwise. Now, God will punish that child of His. God will severely punish that child of His, even up to earthly death. Even up to dropping them dead on the spot. But God never, ever, ever takes away our eternal life. Never, ever does that. 1 Corinthians 5, look at verse number 1. It says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, speaking of the church of Corinth, and such fornication as it is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So there's a man in the church who is either in bed with his biological mother or most likely his stepmother. Can I just pause a minute and say, that's disgusting. That's fornication on a level that's way out of bounds. If there is a sin that could cost someone their salvation, it would be climbing in bed with their stepmother or their mother. Look at verse 2. And ye are puffed up, speaking of the church of Corinth, and have not rather mourned. You just yawn at this guy's sin that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. You haven't even given church discipline a thought when it comes to this guy, Paul says. Paul says in verse 3, For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit uh, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. This is the answer. Does God see the sin of a believer to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh? That's earthly consequence. That the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. If we sin as a believer, God sees our sin here on earth. He punishes our sin here on earth. But when it comes to our eternal record, the righteousness of God has been laid on it, and nothing can change that. The Bible says here to the church, you need to turn that man over to Satan so Satan can destroy his body so that his spirit can be saved in heaven. I'm so glad that my salvation is secure. And when it comes to my eternal record, I cannot sin. Oh, but when it comes to my earthly record, I can bring God's hand of punishment on me. So to recap here, Christian. Let me try to give it to you from this angle. I I don't like doing this very often. I'm going to do it here, though. Imagine that you are sitting in God's place in heaven, and God, and, and as God, you were looking down at you here on earth. All right? God looks down at a believer and sees that person is saved, but they have their sinful flesh in the way. 
And they have just given in to every fleshly appetite. They've given in to pride. They've given in to arrogance. They are defiling me. They're defiling the cause. They're hurting me. They're saved, but they're so out of line. They're so rebellious. Their lifestyle is, is, is bringing great damage and cause uh, to my name and, and, and hurting my reputation. And God looks down at someone like that, and I believe He must think to Himself, it would be better if I just had them killed there and brought here to live with me where they would not have the struggle of sin in the way anymore. I believe that God does that with people. I believe there are people, and by the way, I'm not going to guess who who God does this to and who God does not do this to. Just because someone dies a sudden death does not mean that they uh, they fit into this camp. It's not on us to judge, but I will say categorically, I believe there are people that God looks at and says, they're resisting my punishment, they're resisting my punishment, they're resisting my punishment... I'm taking them home to heaven. No more. No more. God has the awesome ability to look into someone's future and see if they'll ever get that turned around and they'll ever make an impact for good for the kingdom of heaven. If God looks into the future and sees that they're not ever going to do anything good for the kingdom of heaven, why wouldn't He take their life so they could be in heaven with Him? Now, that brings us to point number four. And this is the challenge of the message to each of you here this evening and those of you watching online. Number four, the power of our prayers. The power of our prayers. Look at verse number 16 again. If any man, if any Christian, see his brother sin a sin not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life. Who is the first he? The first he there is the believer. The believer shall ask, and God shall give this brother in sin life. Look at there again. The believer, or, uh, or, or, or you or I, shall ask, and God shall give that backslidden, wayward uh, child of his life. When you see a brother or sister Uh, in Christ, living in sin, your prayers can make a big difference on their behalf. I believe that it can even extend God's grace to them a little bit longer and keep those sins to sins not unto death instead of sins unto death. Let's finish the message this evening in uh, Luke chapter 22. Turn over to Luke chapter 22. I'm almost done. You've been a great audience this evening. Thank you. Luke chapter 22 and verse number 31. When we respond well to God's hand of correction, it gives us life. When we reject God's hand of correction, it moves us closer to committing that sin unto death. Luke 22, verse 31, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32, Jesus said, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he, Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock or the rooster shall not crow this day before thou thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You know the story, don't you? I think it's verse 60 of this same chapter. The Bible says that 
Peter denied the Lord that third time. And then the cock or the rooster crowed. And the Bible says that the Lord looked upon Peter and he went out and he wept bitterly. He committed a sin not unto death. But the Lord prayed for him. And you know what? Those prayers made a big difference because in John chapter 21, Peter quits the ministry. He said, I go a fishing. And there he is, sitting on the, on, the, on, the, on the boat with his shirt off, naked. I think the Bible uses the word naked in that chapter. And um, John looks out and says, hey, there's the Lord, the Master, on the beach. And Jesus had began to cook some fish. And wayward, backslidden Peter put a shirt on and he jumped in the water and he swam to shore. And you know what Jesus did? He had compassion on him. He challenged him and he restored him. You know what moved Peter away from committing sin and brought him to life? The prayers of Jesus. James chapter 5, verse 16, if you know it, quote it with me. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so that brings me back to the question I open with this evening. Do you know someone in your life who is rejecting the correcting hand of God? Oh, my friend, they are not in danger of losing their salvation, but they are in danger of losing their earthly life. We don't know when they'll cross God's line and God will say, that's it, you've committed the sin unto death. Time to come home. Christian, how much are you praying for those people? Mother and father with a wayward adult child, how much are you praying for that child? Brother or sister of a wayward, uh, a brother or sister, how much are you praying for your sibling? That person who used to sit on the pew here and be actively involved in church, that's just run headlong into the world and you believe they're saved. How much are you praying for them? Boy, verse 16 of 1 John 5 says that we can pray and God will give them life. Boy, let's make sure we're on our knees praying. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, thank you for this time we can spend studying the Bible. Lord, break our hearts for the backslidden. Lord, help us to make a commitment for those who are in rebellion to You. Help us to fall on our knees and intercede on behalf of those who are living a lifestyle that's wicked and wrong. Lord, do a great work tonight in our hearts. Lord, help us to be people of prayer. Understanding that our prayers make a big difference. Lord, as we begin to prepare our hearts for the
partaking of the Lord's Supper elements. Would you help us to have our sins confessed and our hearts right with you in Jesus' name?